Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. Hey, good morning again. It's hour two of Mornings with Carmen here on the Faith Radio Network. I am your host, Carmen LeBurge. Our goal is to bring the mind of Christ to bear on everything that's going on in the world um, around us and certainly bring the mind of Christ to bear on how we are going to walk our faith out into the world that God so loves. So I want you to um, be able to honor Jesus today in what you say and how you say it. And so let's get uh, let's get equipped for those conversations. I'm going to bring into focus uh, a couple of headlines here this morning so that we can talk about them. Um, first, there there was a debate last night on a debate stage um, among a group of people, and um, you can you can assess for yourself um, how that went and what you think is going to come of it. It does give us opportunity to talk about what it means to debate and why we would debate, and what things are worthy of debate, and how we bring forward um, uh, the ideas, uh, the convictions that we have on particular subjects, and how we listen well to others and engage with them and their ideas as well. And so how are you going to do that today? Are you going to listen well to others? Are you going to seek to understand before you seek to be understood? Are you going to ask good clarifying questions? Are you going to reflect back um, to, to other people what you think you heard them say? Are um, you going to ask them to define terms that you might understand differently than they do? You're going to let them speak their peace and then seek to be a person of peace? Yeah, all of those things. Just a reminder that people don't need another piece of our mind. People do very much need the peace of the mind of Christ. So how are you going to deliver that? Well, first of all, you have to know the mind of Christ on the matters of the day. So let's see if we can um, bring some uh, some headlines into view here. Um, so that you are aware of what is happening around the world, the U.S. military uh, on Wednesday, that'd be yesterday, announced that American warplanes, so American pilot, American fighter jet pilots, struck a weapons storage facility in eastern Syria. So just so that we're really clear, um, U.S. fighter jets crossed over an international border um, and uh, targeted Iran-backed militants and weapons depots um, following attacks upon American troops in the region over the past three weeks by these Iran-backed militants. Um, the Houthi rebels, who are Iranian-backed, shot down um, one of our Reaper drones yesterday. So, you know, there's $35 million into the sea, into the Red Sea. Um, and we also have at least 46 U.S. personnel who have sustained injuries during something like 41 attacks on U.S. troops who are hosted on bases in Iraq and Syria. Um, so we're in this. Like, in case you didn't 
think we were in it. We're in it. And so I think that's cause for uh, prayers. Um, it's vigilance, awareness, preparation, prayers. Yes, I know I mentioned it twice. <laughs> it seems like we should be doing it a lot. Um, and for those of you who have been, you know, wondering, what does Hamas really want? What, what, is, what does Hamas really want? Well, Khalil al-Haya, who is a member of Hamas's top leadership body, he gave an interview to the New York Times in Doha, Qatar, which let's just remind ourselves that the leadership of Hamas lives in extravagant wealth in Qatar. They do not live in the Gaza Strip. They do not live among the people whom they keep trapped there in deplorable circumstances. They live in Doha, Qatar. In, 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 anyway, it, so that should tell you something. Anyway, Khalil uh, Alhaya gave an interview to the New York Times in which he says it was necessary to, quote, change the entire equation and not just have a clash. We succeeded in putting the Palestinian issue back on the table, and now no one in the region is experiencing calm. Uh, He went on to say, I hope that the state of war with Israel will become permanent on all the borders and that the Arab world will stand with us. So just to be clear, Hamas wants permanent war. Did you hear that? They do not want peace. They want permanent war. They want a state of war with Israel, quote, on all borders, supported by the Arab world. So if you were wondering what they want, that is what they want. Um, And so sometimes uh, the quiet things are said out loud. And when they are said out loud, we should pay attention. Israel has, according to the IDF, uh, destroyed some 130 Hamas tunnel shafts. Many of those um, many of those tunnel entrances were in schools, in hospitals, and in playgrounds. Um, And so you can imagine um, how that looks when those entrances to those tunnels are destroyed. It looks like Israel is targeting hospitals, schools, and playgrounds. So please know what's going on there. They are trying to destroy the tunnel system that Hamas has built, this labyrinth of... um, of terror tunnels, the infrastructure of their terror network um, beneath Gaza City. And yes, it has resulted in not only the mass displacement of some two million people and the destruction of their homes and neighborhoods. I acknowledge that. And it is dreadful. And rebuilding is going to be expensive and long term. And yes, those people are precious and they are desperate. And we ought to be meeting their material needs. And I'm grateful for um, the the corridors opened through through Egypt and for the humanitarian aid being organized even today by European countries and the Arab world meeting today. Sources within Gaza say that um, in, in the past month, uh, uh, 10,500 10, people in Gaza um, have died and another 26,000 have been injured. Um, And there's desperate circumstances. And I told you at the beginning of this, or I reminded you at the beginning of this, like war is hell. Um, Let us not forget that 242 people are still being held hostage. And uh, for those calling for a ceasefire, Hamas controls that. Hamas could bring about a ceasefire immediately by releasing the hostages. That is how this is going to work. And it's not going to happen until then. Israel's been very clear about that. Stop expecting them to do something that they've already told us they're not going to do. Hamas controls whether or not there's a ceasefire. 
All they need to do is release the 142 hostages and there will be a ceasefire. That's what Israel has promised. So there you go. Um, Kobe Ferguson is going to join us next. Um, He's the executive director of Ma'oz Israel. It's an organization of Messianic Jews. Many of you have been asking if we could talk with a Messianic Jew um, about what is happening and who they are and what's going on. And so here we go. Kobe Ferguson joins us next. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Kobe Ferguson is joining us now. He's the executive director of um, Ma'oz Israel. It's an organization of Messianic Jews working in Israel to support the church and spread the gospel. They have now pivoted to supporting soldiers and civilians, including thousands of displaced Israelis from the southern border um, with Gaza. Kobe, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Shalom, shalom, Carmen. Great to join you. Um, Shalom, shalom. Um, uh, Tell us, uh, if you will, just give us a perspective of where you are um, and maybe, you know, how how life has changed in in the last month. Well, our ministry and our family are based in Jerusalem. So we haven't had, Israel has had, but on October 7th, uh, earlier uh, last month, everything changed here um, suddenly, as uh, many people were butchered. Um, Hamas terrorists invaded Israel. Uh, it's the first time we've had something like that, uh, actually, since our independence war. Uh, it's the greatest loss of life uh, since the 1973 Yom Kippur War. So overnight, uh, Israel changed. Uh, we went from just uh, peace-loving uh, uh, people to having to defend ourselves in, uh, in a very gruesome uh, attack and now war to defend. So literally uh, everything changed. So like you said, pivoting uh, from a lot of different things we do in ministry over the last 50 years of Maos, uh, which means strength. Our vision is to make the body of believers strong in Israel to help strengthen Israel. And so we just said we've got to do all we can to help support the soldiers uh, so a word that we've never heard before <clears throat> is uh, Israeli refugees. Mm. Uh, we've never used that phrase before. Um, uh, evacuees is probably what a lot of them would uh, prefer to be called. But because of the war situation, they're technically uh, refugees displaced tens and tens of thousands. We don't really even know the number because of uh, the the kind of fluid nature of what's going on. And it was so sudden. So things changed overnight. And we became very aware of some of the worst horrors that we we haven't experienced since uh, the Holocaust. I hope um, that you hear frequently, and you're certainly going to hear from me today, um, that we stand with you. We can't imagine um, what you're feeling, what you're enduring, but we certainly want you to know that you are not alone, um, that we um, have not been distracted, that we are paying attention And that even as um, other people stand up in protest and say terrible things and do terrible things, um, we want you to hear and know that um, that you are loved, that you are seen and that you're not alone. Thank you, Carmen. You know, one of the if there is a silver lining uh, and and the Lord is always working, um, we're Jewish believers, so we have 
the same heart and vision that you guys have to make disciples, to see Yeshua, we call him Jesus glorified and lifted up. And we know he will be even in this circumstance. And I'll tell you some of the good things, maybe uh, your audience would love to hear um, the Lord's moving. People are open. Jews are open to hearing uh, something that just even a few months ago, tolerated to hear the message. Uh, but as we're distributing goods and supplies, uh, whatever we can, uh, jackets, uh, one army unit didn't have shoes. These guys, you have to mm. realize uh, the civilians, people talk about, and, and so a moment like this, uh, people go from uh, working in kindergarten or just a father and in some cases mothers uh, just living their daily lives suddenly to go up. Going up, many of them didn't, didn't, he did not have um, proper uh, shoes, so we bought them tactical shoes and that. Then the displaced families, uh, mm-hmm. there were whole villages that were the most atrocious. I won't go into it uh, for the, the listeners. Um, some, they can possibly imagine uh, that these people did was truly the most uh, vile uh, Jewish people in the years. And so now many people have been displaced and hundreds of thousands, uh, it's 400,000 people moving out of areas uh, along the Gaza border, even the Lebanese border with the constant missile attacks. So not only were we invaded, we had thousands of missiles uh, hitting us constantly in certain areas. And so there are, Dozens and dozens of what we, I guess, would call refugee camps, basically bases um, that have been started overnight. It's incredible. It's incredible. Um, for those of you who are listening and you're and you're wondering um, about our connection, we're we're doing our best. Kobe is talking with us from Jerusalem in Israel, um, and sometimes um, you know technology doesn't work perfectly. So thank you for your patience. Um, in this conversation. Um, Kobe, thank you so much for um, the good news. Uh, Jews are open to hearing the mes- message of Yeshua. Um, that, is, that, is, um, that is great news. And when we come back from a very brief break, I'm wondering if, um, Kobe, you could tell us, like, what does it mean? I mean, we would use the term Messianic Jew. Is that even the right term to be using? Um, you know, how you're, you're a fulfilled Jew, maybe is another way to say that. Could you help us understand what it means um, for you to be a Jewish believer. First of all, that thrills our hearts, but we also recognize that maybe in our own context, that's a fairly unusual person to meet. And so we'd like to um, to find out more about that. We're talking with Kobe Ferguson. He is the executive director of Moe's Israel. It's an organization of Messianic Jews working to support the church and spread the gospel. They have pivoted to supporting soldiers and civilians um, following the October 7 attack by uh, by Hamas. And if you want the direct link to their organization, I'm happy to send it to you. Just text me, 877-933-2484. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. 
As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. We're continuing our conversation with Kobe Ferguson uh, in Israel. Um, Kobe, you have uh, you have a website we can direct people to that's not just the direct organizational website. So, can you tell me what that is? Yes, yeah, it's, it's a page set up for War Relief Fund that many of us believers here are working together in. This it's called IsraelNeedsMe.com. If people are interested in helping, and like you said, the prayers make a huge difference, um, especially during this time. All right, that is way easier than what I have. So IsraelNeedsMe.com, fantastic. Thank you. Um, thank you so much um, for giving us that. And again, I can, I can text you guys the direct link if that is helpful to you. Um, just send me a text message, 877-933-2484. Let's talk about what it means to be a Messianic Jew. Yes. Okay, it, it's, it seems complicated because what happened, um, you know, of course, um, since Abraham and in the times of all the Jewish uh, figures in the Bible, uh, then the, the nation of Israel being created, you had basically um, just Israelis who believed in, in the one true God of Israel. And then when Yeshua, Jesus, comes, he basically builds his congregation or his church and all the early disciples and followers and apostles and leaders, uh, men and women, many of them martyrs, uh, giving their lives to spread the gospel to the nations of the earth, they were all Jewish. So uh, the first, and there actually, you know, an acts that was a council to decide can Gentiles actually come into this new covenant? Yes, thank you. By the way, um, as a Gentile believer, I feel like thanks is thanks is in order. And then even the Apostle Paul mentions, look, there's a, uh, an ignorance happening, and, and there's, a, um, there's kind of an, an arrogance where, you know, the, there's so many, uh, the, the grafted in tree began to become so great and flourish, and so many people come to faith, so many nations uh, were, were, were believers, were Gentile believers, that it became much greater than even the number of Jewish believers. And after time, for the most part, Jewish people... Uh, denied that Yeshua was the Messiah, and so it became kind of this kind of small branch, you know. But it was it was all, all, always in existence. It was always a remnant of Jewish believers, and now I believe because we're coming, I don't know if we have a thousand years, a hundred years, ten years left in the end times. But we know at some point in history, the Lord said, "I will bring Israel back into their land, and there in the land I will save them." And this is the word used for Jesus, Yeshua. I will save them. He is the Savior, and since 1948, we've seen the number of Messianic Jews, we call them. It's just, a, like you said, Jewish believers, Israeli believers, there's different ways to say it. Um, we've not necessarily been converted into a different religion. That's kind of been a misnomer over the years. It's just being fulfilled. You said it perfectly, being fulfilled in our new covenant that was promised even in Jeremiah. It's promised in the Hebrew Scriptures. So coming 
as Jewish people, as Israelis, uh, to our faith and finding our ultimate fulfillment in the new covenant and not abandoning the uh, legacy and the heritage of our forefathers and um, as an inheritance. Still keeping these things, a lot of us keeping different in different ways. You ask a Jew uh, opinion, you get three different answers, but we have different <laughs> ways. We celebrate uh, Shabbat, the Sabbath, and the feasts and festivals. And so it's just a myriad of it's like a smorgasbord of different nations now coming back into Israel. And we're seeing more and more and more Jews come to faith than we've seen since the first century. Um, I have uh, I have a granddaughter who loves, uh, she has thoroughly enjoyed learning about and, I mean, celebrating, you know, as she can, Jewish festivals that she, you know, discovers for the first time in the Old Testament. And so it thrills her heart to know that there are Christians um, who are Jewish who are doing that as well. Like she, she loves that. So, um, so thank you for uh, it, the ways in which um, you, you are so hospitable and so inviting. I would say that's one, that is the, the one thing that I have taken away from my visits to Israel is the genuine hospitality um, of Israelis of every variety. And, um, and so thank you for that. I do. It, could you help um, for people who have not been to Israel? It's not like everybody there is Jewish. Um, it is a, it is a very diverse place. And so you are a, uh, a fulfilled Jew living in Israel, still an Israeli. There are uh, Christians living in Israel who are not historically Jewish. There are um, people living in Israel uh, from a lot of tribes and nations and and varieties of religion and not no religion at all. Can you talk with that? Uh, can you just talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So the modern state of Israel being founded uh, 1948, Israel then reunified Jerusalem in 1967 as part of Israel it was uh, in many many different hands for the last couple thousand years, and so you have, uh, especially in Jerusalem, I think you see it. A kind of a big um, quintessential snapshot of um, you have uh, Armenians and you know which are also an Arab background people. Um, and if you went to the old city in Jerusalem, you would literally see uh, Armenian quarter, a Christian quarter, um, uh, an, an area that's mostly Middle Eastern uh, Arabs, and then a Jewish quarter, and and all kinds of delineations in between from Russian background and different types of faiths and backgrounds. And so over the centuries, many people came and they would find uh, a spiritual connection, whether they were uh, Christians from a Byzantine background or um, many different places in Europe. And, and so you've got German colony, you've got uh, the French colony, you've got all these places that were founded by different peoples that came here. And many of them have stayed if they're uh, different backgrounds. So like you said, not everyone's Jewish. Um, you know, either one person in the family's Jewish or the, you know, Jewish heritage is not even there. And sometimes those people, you wouldn't even know. Sometimes we are raising our families uh, uh, as as being amongst Jews. A lot of people would uh, just continue to keep some of the festivals and feasts. And a lot of people keep their tr Christian traditions in the midst of it. And for the most part, there's Inside Israel, um, a lot of peace, uh, even among the Arabs and the Jews. Mm -hmm. And so we have, you know, quite a few 
I don't know exactly what the number is, a million, million and a half or more Arabs also, and Israeli citizens who are Arabs. Uh, we have had mayors of cities and, and government leaders in our, in our um, parliament, our, our version of the Congress. We have Arabs who serve. So it's not um, a foreign thing for us to live together in unity. So this is um, kind of a harmful byproduct of this war is mm-hmm. now there are tensions, and I'm saying this as a point of prayer for your audience. Pray, pray for us to be in unity with our, we call them our Dodin Yikarim, our, our beloved cousins. Um, mm. You know, we have such a wonderful relationship um, with our Arab cousins, our, our brothers, and um, even if many of them are Muslims, we still have uh, a unity in a lot of ways. There's whole villages that are just peaceful, that uh, that we enjoy visiting them and they enjoy having us. And, um, you know, they're part of Israel. They're part of Israel. And so we want to make sure that what's happening now, there's not a poisoning that happens uh, in the, these beautiful relationships, um, like you said, from the diverse backgrounds of people that are all over Israel. That's so good. Let's um, let's let's take a moment, Kobe, if you'd be open to it for for um, for me to pray for you. Oh yes, mm. we we need the prayers. And, and just a real quick note: yeah, we can feel you guys out there praying. We can feel that the nations, Christians from the nations of the earth, are praying for us. We we are we are affected by that greatly. Um, I I hear Israelis saying that all the time. I, this is a dark time, but feel something powerful in the midst of it, and we know that that's the Lord. Amen. Amen. Um, Kobe, thank you so much. Again, I'm happy to send you guys uh, direct link contact information. Just text me, 877-933-2484. Let us pray. Father, we do come before you as brothers and sisters um, engrafted into, um, into the true vine. And we thank you for Jesus in whose name we pray together. Um, Father, we come as brothers and sisters in Christ separated by geography, but one in the unity of spirit and the bond of peace. And we plead before your throne of grace and mercy that you would shine light in darkness, that you would um, protect people from being poisoned by the ways in which the enemy is seeking to sow division and discord and death. Father, we ask that in Jesus, every dividing wall of hostility that has been erected would be brought low. Father, provide every resource necessary for Kobe and others who labor alongside him uh, to meet the needs of their neighbors and, Father, to um, pour forth grace in ways that are needed, particularly in these days. Grant your grace. Grant a divine hedge of protection around them. And, Father, thank you so much for their ministry and influence in the Holy Land. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen, amen. Wonderful, wonderful. Mm. That's Kobe Ferguson. Um, I'm more than happy to send you direct contact info so that you can support their efforts um, in Israel as Messianic Jews working to support the church and spread the gospel. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. All right, what
what do you think about the brand of Christianity? How's Christianity doing as a brand out there in the marketplace of ideas today? Jeff Jones is joining us. He's the co-author of Rebranding Christianity, When the World's Most Important Brand Loses Its Way. Jeff, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. All right. Now, some people are going to respond to this and, um, like, they're, they're going to think it's like the new Coke, and they're not going to like it. Like, right, the whole <laughs> idea... Right that we would treat it like a brand, um, you know, might be troubling troubling to folks. But you're a brand marketing expert. You have led some of the world's largest brands as a chief marketing officer and brand strategy consultant. So bring your expertise um, to bear on this conversation about um, the church. Yeah, and I understand how thinking of Christianity as a brand would be you know, a stretch or be different if you think about it like Coke or something like that. But a brand is simply how we are known both internally and how people, you know, relate to us externally, how we're known externally. Uh, Every brand has a promise attached to it that people with expectations. So, you know, you have a brand, you know, when you think of who you are, people, people know what they're going to get when they turn on (laughs) the radio, right? No, no, 100%. So, You're totally yeah. right. In fact, everyone everyone just laughed when you said that because they're they're like, <laughs> yeah, Car- <laughs> they're, certainly Carmen has a brand. No question about it. Yes. Right, right. And Jesus, you know, when we're talking about rebranding Christianity, it can sound like what we're talking about is, hey, this 2,000-year-old brand doesn't work anymore. We need to come up with something else. The emerging generations are leaving Christianity. So let's get a bunch of marketing consultants and come up with something new. We're actually not talking about that at all. We're talking about going back 2,000 years to the brand as our founder, Jesus, gave it. And he said, this is how people will know you're my followers. Like this, mm-hmm. He could have easily in modern vernacular said, hey, here's your brand. This is the way you're going to be known if you love people the way I love people. That's how you'll be known. That's our brand. So that's how we should be known. And if we're not, then that's on us. And we've got to address that. So that's really what the book is about. So once a a brand, in this case the church, once a brand has become known for something other than it is, so I don't know how else to say that, but like it's you're off brand, like it, right? You, you, right. So once that happens, how how do you pivot? How do you regra- regain trust? How do you, you know, like relaunch your brand? That's such a great question, you know. And we we have in the book, you know, we. we a lot of the book is is what the Bible says about how we engage culture in a compelling way and how we represent the brand. But we also have a number of case studies in the book of of companies and organizations that did exactly what you're saying. And and one of those I think is a great example is Domino's Pizza um, because they were known to be fast but terrible. <laughs> and you know, it, it, so thirty in thirty minutes or less, you can have terrible pizza, which I think I could accomplish that, but. They wanted to change that, and um, and they never wanted to be that, and and they decided to be to to take not be defensive about the feedback, but instead to take it in. They listened to their customers, and they did this campaign to rebuild trust, which they chose a path of of just brutal honesty, of just frank honesty. So they had you know their commercials were real customers saying things like, "Domino's pizza is worse than the cardboard box it comes in." You know, which doesn't seem like a normal advertising campaign, right? But, but then they said, hey, that's not who we want to be. We've, you know, we've changed the recipe. We've changed the way we do things. We, 
you know, and we know you're not going to trust us enough to buy one. So we'll give you one just to try And and their market share. I mean, they, they accomplished it. People actually like the pizza and it's one of the greatest turnaround stories. Their, their market share over the course of that time went from like $3 a share to a uh, hundred times that $300 a share over this, over a couple of decades, um, outpacing Amazon and Google and, uh, and all those companies that we think are in, they are amazing companies, but, but they won it back with frank honesty. And, and I think that's something we can learn, you know, with the emerging generations, they can handle Christians, maybe not representing the brand. Well, if we're honest enough about it to say, you know what, that's not who we want to be. Uh, that's not the way of Jesus. And we're sorry. And we're not going to, we're not going to do that anymore. Uh, we're going to represent Jesus well, and we're going to love you. And, and I, I really, I, I really believe that can help us authentic, authentic honesty rather than defensiveness for sure. So um, let's talk about a, a phrase you just used, which is market share. Um, for people who don't think in business terms, um, again, like we're treading into terrain that feels like just not something the church should be talking about. But competing for adherence, like that is evangelism. Like the Great Commission yeah. is that we would go and make disciples. That suggests we're going to go um, seek to win people. We're going to seek to um, have them embrace the Jesus um, whom we know and love. Uh, and so when we talk about like competing for adherence, worldview adherence, or we talk about market share, um, like I'm comfortable with that language, but other people might not be. So can you can you help us like separate that? Like we're not trying to get the church to win a popularity contest. We actually are seeking to share the gospel with people because it's genuinely good news. Absolutely. And we think of Think of the Apostle Paul on Mars Hill in Acts 17. Right? He goes and, and, it, it, and so there's all these idols and that kind of thing. So there's a marketplace of ideas there on the Areopagus, right, you know, on, on Mars Hill. And he's, he realizes he's one of those ideas, the most important idea in the world, the gospel of Jesus, right? But he's one of multiple ideas. And if you look at how he represents, you know, he— he starts with where they are and he says, hey, um, this idol to the unknown God that you have, um, can I tell you about that unknown God? Um, and, and he relates in a way that actually he gets invited back and because they want to know more. And so really, it, it's how do we represent the gospel, the good news of Jesus in a, in a world of ideas that is compelling enough that people see the difference and that people want more? And right now, that's not what's happening. And so by and large, you know, if you look at the perception of Christianity among the youngest adults, Gen Z, you know, it's not great. If, if you're having a good day and, and you want to ruin it, you know, you're feeling a little too good and you want to get a little depressed. All you have to do is Google Gen Z and Christianity. And it's not great. You know, the, uh, Gallup did a study in 2001 of people in that age group, that young adult age group then. And they found that 60%, even if they were not Christians, had a positive view of Christianity, felt like it was a positive force for good in the world. They just repeated that 20 years later with new people, but same age group. And today, young adults, only 37% have a positive view of Christianity as a force for good in the world, meaning 63% believe we're, the world would be better without us. 
that's a massive perception shift. And, and, if, and if I was consulting a company and you had that happen, that massive of a shift, I would, that would be calamitous. Like that, that doesn't happen. That, that kind of, of precipitous decline in perception and then engagement as well that's happened in that age group. Um, you would say this, 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 is a, this is a calamity and we've got to stop everything and figure out how to recruit. And, that, and that's, that is what we're living in right now in American Christianity. And so it's, it's not just an interesting thought. I, I believe for those of us who are committed to the spread of the gospel, it's urgent. So, um, again, let me just remind you, if you're listening right now, we're talking with Jeff Jones. Among other things, he is the co-author of Rebranding Christianity, When the World's Most Important Brand Loses Its Way. Um, Rebrandingchristianity.org is a great place you can go for resources related to this. Jeff, when you, um, when you think about this uh, from a consulting perspective— if you were consulting a company whose trends were as bad as you just described, um, but who still had, you know, a lot of wonderful adherents, um, oh, but yeah. those, but those quote unquote, you know, committed, the committed customers are also the ones who are aging out. Like, right. You're talking about, um, you're talking about the way that a company recognizes the need to move into emerging markets. And so every generation is an emerging market for the church. Is that one way of thinking about this? Sure, sure. So what yeah. would you, you know, like, if our trend is as bad as you just described, and I acknowledge that it is, what would you as a consultant recommend? Well, you know, the good news in Christianity is the, the basic brand proposition, the promise is the most incredible in the world. I mean, in the, you know, the gospel, the good news of Jesus, the fact that we can have a forever relationship with God and that God wants to change our lives and use us to change this broken world. Um, there, there's not a more compelling story than that. There's not a, a better brand promise than that. I think what's happened in American Christianity, and this is where, you know, in what I would say is... And get get back to the brand as Jesus gave it because it is irresistibly good, um, and persuasive, and in uh, and that brand is grace, it's love um, that we demonstrate to our world in a way where there's a huge shortage of those things, and so people are craving what they're what only what only Jesus can bring, mm. and. Um, and so how I, I think we just have to look at how have we where's the mission drift happened? Like where have we drifted from the gospel, good news, grace, unconditional love of God displayed to people, um, being the most loving people on the planet, loving like Jesus, so that we represent the heart of God to people in a way that they understand his open door for them to come in and to live a whole new life and to conform to truth and all that. I get that part of it too. But um but we've we've gotten off and we've gotten off brand. We've gotten off track. We've gotten off message. And so I, I think it's just say, all I would say is in our case, we have to make up something new. It's just getting back to that brand and being really honest about where we've drifted and where we've been distracted and let's lose the distraction and get back to the, get back to the core brand. All right. The core brand is Jesus. It's the good news of the gospel. Literally everyone needs it. There's an absolute open marketplace out there. 
Um, we got to get back to the brand. Jesus is irresistibly good, full of grace and truth. People are craving what only Jesus can bring, peace, hope, love, a future, a life worth living here and now. We're going to continue our conversation um, here with Jeff Jones. Uh, you know, Jeff um, has been a chief marketing officer and brand strategy consultant for some of the biggest companies in the world. Frito-Lay, GameStop, Microsoft, Campus Crusade, Feed the Children. Um, and he comes he comes to us today as one of the co-authors of Rebranding Christianity. So um, what kind of, um, of rebranding does Christianity need? Well, we need the brand where it all started. So we're going to continue this conversation in just a moment. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. 150 million people, 150 million people actively use one particular app every month in the United States of America. I want that to be the Faith Radio app. How about you? If you're wondering how you could be encouraged in your faith at any time, anywhere, well, I got good news for you. There's literally an app for that. You can listen to Faith Radio live, any show on demand, no matter where you are at any time of the day or night. Download the free Faith Radio app right now. It's super easy. Just text the word app to 877-933-2484 and click the link. Let's connect faith to life. All right, uh, we're talking with Jeff Jones, among other things, the co-author of Rebranding Christianity. And Jeff, since every time I say you're the co-author, who who's your other co-author? Who's the other guy? Yeah, so uh, Mike Hogan. We've had a little bit of confusion here. So I'm, I'm actually a oh. pastor of... Oh, uh, I have Jason you guys Church. switched. You know, you I did, actually yeah, see yeah. that in my notes. I see that. Tell, tell us about yeah. Mike, who is the person that so, I've been talking about. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so Mike, uh, Mike was, did run marketing at Frito-Lay for a number of years and a number of other companies and uh, is, is a marketing executive today for another uh, company. And then Dwight Jusen, who is uh, considered uh, certainly by Mike and others in that world, maybe the top one, two, three branding experts in the world. And, and he's an interesting story. So Mike, Mike is a believer. Um, he actually is on, he's a volunteer on the executive team of our church, um, helping us strategically and so on. It's been amazing. Uh, Dwight Jusen is somebody that he pulled in as we were trying to change the perception of Christianity in our own area, uh, mm-hmm. as well as in the country. And, um, and he's not a Christian. Uh, he's a nun, N-O-N-E. And when we first asked him to participate, um, he let us know later. He was just nice, and I think he he would have he was kind of cold as we were talking about the project of rebranding Christianity and how do we change the perception of Christianity. And in that first conversation, he he was friendly, but you could tell not that overly interested. And then he wanted to fly in and meet with us again, and he was so animated. And he said, um, he said, I have to tell you when when you first asked me to help you. Um, all I was going to say was in this follow-up conversation, you know, it's just not going to be a good fit. But he said, what would have been underneath that is there's no way it'd be immoral for me to work with you because mm. you're a mega church pastor in Dallas, Texas. And he said, as a branding and marketing person, I give influence to people. And if I give influence to the wrong people, I make our world worse and I can't sleep at night. 
if that happens. So the way I considered you as an evangelical pastor in Dallas, Texas, you're at the top of the you're list a, of the people you're like, who are making like the our bad world guy. Worse. You are. Yeah. And so it'd be immoral for me to work with you. And, uh, but he said, honestly, that was unfair because I decided, well, we need to vet your organization. We need to vet. So he said, we listened to what you said. We looked at what you actually do in the community. What we found is it's unbelievably good and amazing. And the world needs to know that there's a version of Christianity like you out there. And I've got to work with you. And that's how our relationship started 10 years ago, 15 years ago, Mm. maybe. And, um, and it's been, you know, super productive, but, but what a tell, right. For somebody to think you're, you're at the top of the list of people who are making our world worse Mm. was the perception. And, um, so Jeff, you know, first of all, I'm sorry that I, I had my notes confused and I apologize. Um, but since, since we're on this topic, like you and I both know people who, who are, as pastors and as church, quote unquote, franchises, making the world worse. So is there like there's an accountability conversation to be had here for those of us who are on the inside of evangelical Christianity? Um, Like you can't just like show up at the exit and shut down a franchise that is, you know, that has the word church on the front of it, but is making the world worse. McDonald's can do that. Like they can literally they can pull <laughs> yeah. they can pull the big corporate lever and that McDonald's disappears in a day. We can't do that. So can we just have a quick conversation about like internal accountability? How do I say to a to a pastor, to a group of church leaders who by my perception, they are so off brand and they're making the world worse by the way they're presenting Jesus? Yeah, you know, Paul talked about that right in, in 2 Corinthians five when he said you know, who are we to judge those outside the church? You know, we, we try to hold people accountable to our standard that don't haven't signed up for our standard outside the church, right? We, which comes across as judgmental, as pushy and all of that. But why not hold each other accountable? Like we should hold each other accountable. Like with, that's where judgment starts in, in the house of God. You know, judgment starts with us. And, um, and therefore, you know, I, I, I think a lot of, a lot, you know, with this perception shift of Christianity, a lot of people I've talked to out there have kind of a persecution complex. So it's like, hey, we're actually, we're actually good, but, you know, media and Hollywood and all that hate us and they're doing smear campaigns and news agent, you know, news outlets and all that. And that's the problem, you know, is we're sort of victims. And Jesus didn't give us, and all that, I'm sure there's all kinds of bad things happening out there, but I can't control that. Jesus gave us the responsibility to represent him. We're not victims. We're agents. We're, you know, we've got to, you know, he said, this is how people will know. You're my followers. If you love one another the way I've loved. So the way we should be known is as the most radically loving people on the planet Mm. in a way that doesn't even make sense um, so that people you know, if they hear that a Christian moved next door and they're not a Christian and in a post-Christian culture, increasingly that's the story. We're guests in a post-Christian world now. Then it should be that the first thing they thought think is, oh, my goodness, we got so lucky. Christians moved in next door. Now, they believe some weird stuff, <laughs> but, oh, my goodness, they're the most amazing. They're, who's that forgiving? Who's that loving? Who's that generous? Like, they're just they're just crazy. Like, I... And we got one right next door to us. This is the best day ever. You know, that's that. the that's, that's what so sh- should be happening, right? All right, Jeff. Can we um, 
Can we talk again since I totally m- missed and messed up who you were and what you're doing? Anytime. <laughs> Anytime. <laughs> I, love I love I love I love that. And I love your heartbeat. I love your heartbeat for helping oh. exactly what we're talking about, helping us as Christians engage our culture uh, in a so in good. a compelling way. That's so good. All right. So that's Jeff Jones. He's actually um, a pastor, Grace uh, or Chase Oaks Church in Dallas, Texas, co-author of Rebranding Christianity. Um, Hey, um, thank you so much for your time and attention today. I know it's precious. It's a great gift to be able to spend this time together. As you go out there into the world that God so loves, just just don't embarrass Jesus. Like, let's just be of a mind that today we're going to be ambassadors of the king and the kingdom We're going to show forth the gospel um, in ways that honor him. Have a great day. God bless. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LaBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.